You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Deliver us from Satan, ourselves, from a decaying and disappointing world to the new heaven and new earth. We praise you, King Jesus. You are worthy. You are worthy. Help us, Holy Spirit, to make much of Jesus today and draw all people to you. We pray this in Jesus' strong name and all God's people type, amen. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 1 through 4 this morning. I do encourage you to pull out a physical copy of the Scriptures if you have them with you. Uh, We want you to search the Scriptures. I I like to say I want you to have an open Bible, an open mind, and an open heart. If you don't have a physical Bible and you have a smartphone, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app. That's Y-O-U version. Go to, after you download it, go to the More tab, tap Events, find Mount Carmel Baptist Church, and click on today's sermon title. And there you'll have all the scriptures, notes, quotes, and references for you. And you can follow along and save it on your phone. If you're outside the Habersham County area, thanks for joining us. If you want to use the Bible app, you may have to search for Demarest, Georgia. D-E-M-O-R-E-S-T. That's where we're located. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We're continuing our series through the book of Acts, and today we have arrived at part six, which is entitled, What This Christian Holiday Is. It is Pentecost. Happy Pentecost. Today's sermon is labeled Pentecost. As I just mentioned, today marks Pentecost on the Christian calendar. I don't believe there is another Christian holiday that is more shrouded in mystery and surrounded by questions than Pentecost. To be frank, it might surprise most Baptists that today is even Pentecost. So what is Pentecost? And what does Pentecost have to do with you? Let me give you some background prior to to Acts chapter 2 and what happened in chapter 1. Jesus' disciples have just returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives where Jesus, our blessed Lord and Redeemer, ascended to His Father. Jesus commanded them to wait in Jerusalem for the coming, the descension of the Holy Spirit who would empower the disciples for witnessing about Jesus around the world. While they're waiting on the Holy Spirit, they're united in persistent prayer. There's about 120 followers of Jesus gathered. In the middle of that gathering, we talked about this last week, the Apostle Peter, he stood up and acknowledged that they must replace Judas Iscariot. Judas was the Apostle who betrayed Jesus and then committed suicide. So there was a vacancy. And so through discerning the scriptures, praying and entrusting the decision to Jesus, Matthias 
filled the apostolic vacancy. And now that their organization, so to speak, is in order, what happens next? Now what? Let's go and read Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. The first thing that I simply want you to notice is the situation. The situation, the circumstances that the early church, the 120 with the 12 disciples, found themselves in. This is the day of Pentecost. Now, the word Pentecost simply means 50th. The feast of Pentecost was celebrated 50 days after the Sunday following the feast of the Passover. And if you remember our study through the Gospel of John, remember Jesus was crucified and died for our sins on Passover, and then he was resurrected gloriously from the grave on that following Sunday after Passover. Just remember that timeline. Among Jews, Pentecost was known as the day of first fruits. The day of first fruits. Because on that day, the first fruits of the wheat harvest were brought to the temple. The, the Jews would bring two loaves of, of baked bread to the temple to honor and celebrate God's providence and for giving them the start of another wheat season. So what does Pentecost, that festival, have to do with the Christian church today? The Spirit's coming on Pentecost relates to that Old Testament first fruits festival. First of all, think of it like this. That festival would have drawn a vast and diverse crowd into where the disciples were in Jerusalem. Just note that. It was packed out. And then think about this. Like Jesus' resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit happens on a Sunday, an eighth day. Remember, the, the Jewish calendar works from Sunday to Saturday. Sunday's the first day of the week. And notice what's happening. We're going all the way to the end of the week, and then we're starting over on a new Sunday. It's an eighth day. And to make this even more unique is that Pentecost falls on the Sunday of the eighth week from the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus, our Passover lamb, died for our sins to release us from God's wrath and was resurrected from the dead to prove that he actually freed us and forgave us. Now, what does that have to do with Pentecost? The point is this. God's creative work happened on days 1 through 6, if you remember in the book of Genesis chapter 1. And then he rested on the seventh day, the Sabbath day. And in the New Testament, the New Covenant, when Jesus appears to establish this incredible relationship with God for us, he does these things on the eighth day, the Sunday following the Sabbath. So Jesus is resurrected to new life on the eighth day. The Holy Spirit descends upon the church on the 
eighth day of the eighth week past Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. What am I trying to say? It's simply this. God is starting something brand new. This is the first fruits of the new creation. What is God up to? What is God starting on Pentecost? First, God started His church. He started His church. We'll see through Acts chapter 2 that a great harvest of 3,000 souls, 3,000 people repent of their sins and trust Jesus Christ as their Savior in God. That's the first fruits of the Christian mission, and it is called the church. Some commentators have remarked about the symbolism of bringing two loaves of bread to the temple at the uh, Pentecost festival. And what, the way we apply that typology to the church is in the same way we'll see throughout the book of Acts is that when the Holy Spirit comes, He brings one loaf of bread to the Jews and another loaf of bread to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. This is the offering to God. Both Jew and Gentile united into one group. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, ah, this is Paul speaking, the prisoner in the Lord urge you to walk or live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, putting up with one another, right? Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Did you see what? Notice Notice what the Holy Spirit does. He unites us. He unites us. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, at your salvation. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. The Holy Spirit has brought Not only you and I and reconciled us to God, but the Holy Spirit has started the church and brought us all together. The second thing that God has started at Pentecost is He is restarting you. He's restarting you. The Holy Spirit is the person who is responsible for your conversion and your progression in holiness, being conformed to the teaching and life of Jesus Christ. He is the one who spiritually made you new again. And He's the one that helps and causes you to spiritually grow. You are the Holy Spirit's new work. Thank God the Holy Spirit is still working on me and He's still working on you. That's good news. Philippians 1.6 puts it this way. I am sure of this, this is the Apostle Paul, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, when Christ returns and makes all things new. The Holy Spirit is going to continue to work in us and develop a Christ-like character all the way until we see Christ face to face. The situation is this. God has started something new and He wants everyone, regardless of of gender, regardless of race, and including you, 
He wants you in on it. That's what Pentecost signifies. We see the situation. It's Pentecost. We're bringing everything together and two loaves of bread, both Jew and non-Jew. Now what? Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. Verse 3, they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. The second thing that I want you to notice in this passage is the sound and sight. The sound and sight. There is a sound originating from heaven. The writer Luke emphasizes that this was God doing something. This is not a weather phenomenon. It is evident from his use of the word like. He is giving us a metaphor, an analogy, something to compare it to. This was like a physically violent rushing wind. That's what it sounded like. The second thing he notices is the remarkable sight after the sound happened. Tongues, or it was flickering flames. Think of it like that, maybe like a candle. Flickering flames of fire, not literal, okay? This is, again, metaphor. They're they're moving and separating upon each person. The point is this, is that the symbolism is every person in the house is receiving the person of the Holy Spirit. And again, notice the phrase, like, like. It was like he came in and then imparted himself fully to each individual. God's action was so beyond comprehension that the Bible had to find words like weather (laughs) and tongues of fire to describe what it was like the day the Holy Spirit came to the earth. The sound and sight show unmistakably that this was God's doing. This was nothing they conjured up. This is nothing that they prayed up. They couldn't even find the words to describe what was happening in that house. What does that have to do with you and me? The sound and sight showed that it's God's doing. This is God's initiative. The Holy Spirit's presence filled that house and the believers, they're just sitting there. They're not doing anything. They're not necessarily crying out. Most commentators believe that Jews at this time would have stood and held their hands up to pray. So the fact that they were sitting might be an illusion that they're not even praying right now. They're just gathered in the house. Maybe chit-chatting, fellowshipping with one another. And all of a sudden, notice it catches them off guard. And they had been told, the Holy Spirit's coming, the Holy Spirit's coming. And then suddenly... Something they didn't expect. What does that mean? This is God's doing. We can't make this happen. Only God does this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is God's initiative. Now, i got to parse some things out theologically. Please stay with me. Being filled 
with the Spirit and being baptized with the Spirit, those phrases are sometimes used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. However, when you go to those instances, sometimes the context, the words and ideas surrounding those phrases makes it completely clear that there are two different concepts in that particular author's mind, all right? So I want to uh, differentiate between the baptism and the feeling of the Holy Spirit. And I, when I say feeling, I don't mean goosebumps. I'm talking about F-I-L-L-I-N-G. What's the difference? And, and remember, occasionally those, those terms will interchange. The concept of being baptized with the Spirit is a one-time unrepeatable action from God that is simultaneous with regeneration, justification, and adoption. Now those are three big doctrinal words, but just notice this, that the Holy Spirit comes into the life of an individual the moment that they are converted and saved. That is a one-time unrepeatable event. He comes and indwells them and has a relationship with them. This is what Paul alludes to in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. So this, this particular instance is true of every true believer, that the Holy Spirit has come into their life and united them with Christ and his church. Listen to how Paul puts it in Romans 8 9. You, really y'all, however, he's talking about the church, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him, God. Notice that. If, if, if you're saying that you can lose the Holy Spirit, then you don't belong to God. And Paul is making the statement, what I am saying is, I know that the Holy Spirit lives in you, so you belong to God. So there is an indwelling permanent aspect uh, that the Holy Spirit has in a relationship to a genuine repentant believer. Now, in contrast to false teachers today, the New Testament does not command you to seek this kind of baptism as an ongoing experience. The Holy Spirit will not leave nor forsake you. It would be essentially like telling you you need to be saved and converted over and over again. There is no need for that. In contrast, now here's something different. And Baptist, this is where we go a rot. This is our error. There is the concept of the feeling. Again, not goosebumps, the actual feeling up with the Spirit that is an ongoing, repeatable action from God. And it's actually really simple to see in the Scriptures if you just read the book of Acts. Because if all there was was a one-time event, we should read Acts chapter 2 and pretty much never see the language of baptism or feeling ever after that. But listen to this. After the day of Pentecost, after this day, Peter was filled again with the Spirit in Acts 4.8. Now, did he leave? That's not what's happening. 
Okay, we got to go look at the context in Acts 4 8. Many of the same people filled with the Spirit in Acts 2, those other people, were filled again in Acts 4 31. Acts 6 5 describes the deacon Stephen as being a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, yet it says in Acts 7 55 that he was filled again. Paul was filled with the Spirit in Acts 9.17 and again in Acts 13.9. So there is a separate type of an experience with the Holy Spirit that does seem to be ongoing and repeatable. While there's no command to be baptized or resaved or reconverted over and over again, God does command believers to be filled with the Spirit, okay? And I love the command. Notice the commands are passive. Y'all keep, it's literally, keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. That's not spiritual control, but notice this. But be filled by the Spirit. Keep on being filled by the Spirit is how you can read that. Now, how do we do this? What's this supposed to look like? Believers, true believers, are supposed to be yielding, surrendering moment by moment to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We put it this way in the Bible. We walk by the Spirit. Walk is a metaphor for living. We go about our life following the empowerment and leadership of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Galatians 5.16 says. I say then, walk by the Spirit, follow Him, live your life after the Spirit, and you will certainly not can, can, uh, carry out the desires of your flesh, your sinful desires. The Holy Spirit in you is hostile. He is there to wage war against sinful passions, desires, and devices that's in your mind and heart. He's there to go and kill them off and replace them with his fruit. Good things. That's what he's there to do. And how we do this is when we have a decision, a moment in our life, where whether we can feed the flesh and satisfy ourselves or yield and surrender to the Spirit. When we do that, he fills us up. He gives us the strength and the power to keep moving forward in holiness and equipping us and empowering us to become the witnesses that God wants us to be. How do we yield? How do we follow the Spirit? How do we stay or be kept or kept on being filled with the Spirit? Listen to this. I think it has a lot to do with self-awareness. Self-awareness. Realize your spiritual poverty. You are completely spiritually bankrupt. We cannot love God or love people without the smallest bit, the, a fiber of God's grace. We would destroy one another if it wasn't for the grace of God. Realize you are spiritually empty. We don't have anything to offer. Realize you are totally depraved. There is no good thing that dwells in us. Realize that we have no spiritual health. 
We have no spiritual power. We must. We are left with nothing else but to be desperately dependent upon the Holy Spirit for love, strength, and self-control. Again, I've said this before, but the older I get, the more I realize what a miracle of God it is for a young man or young woman to exhibit self-control. And here's what happens. As we walk in spiritual impoverishment, we recognize our own destitution, the Holy Spirit will keep on filling us up. The point is, if you have never been baptized, that's the one-time unrepeatable experience of the Holy Spirit where He comes and dwells and has a relationship with you, then I am calling you to be saved today. Repent of your sins and trust Jesus as your Savior. And the moment you do, the Holy Spirit will come into your life and change you, begin working on you. But if you're already saved, you're converted, you're not to try to become like Christ in your own power. If you could, Jesus would not have died for your sins and the Holy Spirit would not have come. If you want to progress in holiness and God's purpose for your witness in your life, then you need to continue to yield to the Holy Spirit and be self-aware of your own spiritual poverty. And the way you can find someone who is spiritually aware of their own self and sinfulness and wickedness, you will find that person to be a prayerful person. They're always speaking to God and they'll always be singing to God. It's one of the fascinating things. They just are, their minds are washed in the Word of God. They're desperately dependent upon Him. So, we see the situation. It's Pentecost. The sound and the sight make sure we know that this is God's doing. We can't do this. What about the last verse? Notice what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice what happened and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The third thing that I want you to see is the speech. The speech. The Holy Spirit empowered or enabled them to speak or witness supernaturally. We call this the gift of tongues. The Holy Spirit inspired cross-cultural witnessing from the beginning, from the beginning. The ability to reach every ethnic group, everyone for Jesus Christ. That should tell you something about the purpose of the church and what the Holy Spirit longs to do in the church. He wants to bring everyone together. We stand up for one another. We love one another regardless of race, regardless of economic status, regardless of education. Whatever thing we want to find to separate us from one another, the Holy Spirit wants to tear down that wall. Luke presents tongues here in Acts chapter 2 not as incoherent or unintelligible babble that you'll see on most television today. It's actually quite the opposite. Throughout the New Testament, if the supernatural gift of tongues occurs, 
I need you to see this. It's expected, the, the, the expectation in Acts or in 1 Corinthians is that the speaker, the person speaking in tongues, or the person hearing the tongues should look, should expect some natural or supernatural interpretation by either the speaker or the hearer. You'll see in a moment that it's clear that the audience knows they're speaking in their own tongue. That the, the people that gather, they hear the message. Their question is the significance of it. What does it mean that these Galilean backwoods uneducated men can speak to all of us in different languages? What's the purpose? And that's when Peter stands up to tell them the prophecy of Joel chapter 2 being fulfilled. But tongues, I need you to see this, is worship in real existing languages that believers don't learn naturally. It's imparted to a believer. But they are intelligible languages. They are coherent. It does have communicative meaning. Tongues is a supernatural gift from the Holy Spirit. You don't have to conjure or work it up. You'll hear people talk about this, this false theology that you've got to keep praying and, and keep, keep, keep babbling, and at some point the Holy Spirit takes over. Where is that in Acts chapter 2? It says, suddenly he came and they were enabled. False teachers assert that every true believer must speak in tongues. That is a false theology. The New Testament never expects everyone to speak in tongues. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30. And listen to the rhetoric of Paul. And God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Next, miracles. Then gifts of healing, helping, leading, various kinds of tongues. There you go, you see it. And then he asks rhetorical questions. And the answer to these rhetorical questions are an absolute no. Here it is. Ready? You can type it in if you want to. Are all apostles? No. Not everyone in the church is an apostle. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all do miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. And then listen to this. Do all speak in tongues? And somehow we have teachers that go, yes. They cannot read their Bible. No. And then notice the last one. Do all interpret? No. If you answer yes to one, you've got to answer yes to the rest. Let me tell you what the New Testament does expect if you are filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Number one, you are to speak to every ethnic group. We are to share the gospel, growing and sharing the gospel to everyone and everybody. It doesn't matter who they are, what they've done. God wants them to hear of his love for them demonstrated by Jesus' death on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead, that they can have forgiveness, freedom, transformation, and an eternal life in heaven with him and not experience hell 
The second thing, if you're filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit, you are to serve with your spiritual gift. The point of that 1 Corinthians 12 passage is to say this, you don't have all the gifts, but you do have one. You have at least one. God has given you some type of ability or energy, literally, to serve the, the local body of the church and in the community. To, to make much of Jesus by doing good for others. And then the third thing is you are to show all the fruit of the Spirit. This is one big fruit. It's a cluster. Okay? But we're to continue to exhibit, grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those three things, speaking, serving, and showing the fruit of the Spirit, those are expected of every believer. If you're not progressing in speaking the gospel to everyone, serving with your spiritual gift, or showing all the fruit of the Spirit, you have every reason to worry about whether you're a true believer. But not because whether you've spoken tongues or not. I shared this hymn a couple of weeks ago, but I want to share it again because I cannot get over it. About the prayer that's in this hymn. And I said it, it's, it's called Have Thine Own Way. Listen to the words and how it applies to us in today's message and to what we should be thinking, meditating, and praying for. It says, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. Notice this. While I am waiting, yielded and still. We're waiting on God's work. We can't produce that work. We're desperately dependent upon Him, resting in His power and goodness. And then this other verse says, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold over my being absolute sway. You influence me, God. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see Christ only always living in me. This is the prayer of someone who sees they are spiritually impoverished and apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they can never make much of Jesus. Our blessed Lord Jesus wants to bless all of us with the baptism, that one-time, unrepeatable action of salvation and conversion to transfer us out of the domain of darkness into his beloved son's kingdom, to escape the wrath of hell and to enjoy eternal life with Christ. He wants us to experience that, and the Holy Spirit is the one who will convict you, regenerate you, justify you, and make you a part of God's family. But not only does, is that Jesus' desire for you, but he wants you to have this ongoing experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a facet of the Holy Spirit's ministry in us. We can't do it without Him. So we realize our utter spiritual poverty and we walk 
in humble prayer. And we ask for His leadership and His empowerment. I ask today, God, grant all of us who are watching and listening that we may live like this, constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. This filling, it's where we begin and end over and over again until Jesus comes. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to give you the opportunity to be baptized with the Spirit right now. If today you have recognized that you're a sinner and you deserve God's righteous anger, wrath, and hell for eternity, but you also see how God loves you and showed His love for you by giving His one and only Son, Jesus, to come to this earth, live a sinless, perfect life, and then shed His blood and die on the cross to cleanse you from all your sin, to cleanse your conscience and your record with God. You can be free from it and actually be justified, made right with God. And to prove that God did this in Christ to reconcile you to Him, to bring you to Him. He raised Jesus from the dead. This is not some myth. This is a historical fact to vindicate His words that He is the only way, the truth, and the life that only in Jesus' name, Jesus' name, opens the door of heaven. Only Jesus' name pricks up the ears of God. And if you're ready to call out to Jesus, confess you're a sinner, and entrust your life now and forever to Him as your forgiver, Savior, and God, and be filled with the Spirit to make much of Jesus, I want to ask you, would you pray this prayer? I just want to teach you how to pray. There's nothing magical about this prayer. If you're just repeating it to repeat it, it's like saying your favorite movie line to God. But if you go today, I want to turn from my sins and trust Christ and become a Christian. Will you pray this? Say, Dear Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner and deserve hell. But I believe you love me. You sent your only son, Jesus, to live a sinless life and shed his blood and die on the cross to remove all my sin. And I also believe you raised him from the dead. Jesus, please forgive me. Be my God. I give my life to you. Baptize me now in the Holy Spirit. Now here's the two things that I want you to do if you just prayed that prayer. You can do one of two things. One, you can go to our website and go to mtcarmeldemarest.com forward slash baptism. Baptism. You could read more about it, but I want you to fill out that form. And here's what happens. You just made a personal, private confession and commitment to Christ. And if it was done in genuine repentance and faith, He has heard you and by faith He has saved you and the Holy Spirit now has a relationship with you. He dwells in you. But the way we make that public to the world is through water baptism. 
So you've been spiritually baptized, you need to be water baptized. And it symbolizes this. When we go under the water, we're saying that we identify with Jesus' death for our sins. And when we come up out of the water, it's saying we believe and identify with Jesus' resurrection and this new life in the Holy Spirit that he's given us. If you've never been baptized, go to mtcarmeldenvers.com forward slash baptism and fill out that form it's sent to me. Another way that you can contact us about any commitment that you've made today to trust Jesus as your Savior, to ask the Holy Spirit to baptize and fill you, you can text BELIEVE. Just text that one word, BELIEVE, to 706-525-5351. I'll say it one more time. Text BELIEVE to 706-525-5351. And, and it gives us an opportunity just to communicate with you. I want to encourage you Christians, if you've gathered together, if you're with family or friends or it's just by yourself, would you drop to your knees for a moment and recognize, be aware of yourself, your utter spiritual poverty, and without the feeling of the Holy Spirit, we cannot speak the gospel, we cannot serve one another, and we cannot show the fruit of the Spirit. And if there's one of those areas, and, and if you're like me, it's all three. We're all working, God, God's working on all three of them. But if there's a particular one in which the Holy Spirit has identified that we are not giving to His leadership, and not trusting his empowerment to change us. We just make up, well, I'm just an angry person. I'm just an unforgiving person. I'm just a shy person. I just like to be to myself. And I can make those excuses all day long. The Holy Spirit's there to say, yes, you are, but I'm not, and I can help. So would you pray for his help? Pray. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.